Pastor John here. When you were growing up, did you ever think your family was dysfunctional? I did. Maybe you think that now. Would it surprise you to hear that most of the families in the Bible were dysfunctional as well? Perhaps none more so than Isaac's family. Join us today as we hear the story of Isaac's two sons, Esau and a man called Jacob, and see how God redeems families, even dysfunctional ones like yours and mine. I'd like you to turn to Genesis. I'll tell you in just a second. 27. We're going to be in verses 18 through 29. While you're finding that, let me ask something. Is your family dysfunctional? You can't say that because I'm part of your family and I'm dysfunctional. As my wife saying no. Okay. Yeah, you know, when I, I was growing up, I, all I wanted to do was get out of Youngstown because I thought the family was dysfunctional. One day we were riding back from Youngstown, Kelly and I, and I said, that family is so dysfunctional. And she said, yeah, and you're part of it. I had to repent. I had to repent. But we all, we all come from dysfunctional families, don't we? At, at some level. Would it surprise you to know that nearly all the families in the Bible are dysfunctional? Would it surprise you to realize that God redeems dysfunctional families? He does. We're in the middle of our series called Lessons for Today from the OT I just put the OT on there because I wanted it to sound cool. Does it? Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Today's sermon is Jacob. We're going to take a look at Jacob. Now, Jacob's story begins in Genesis chapter 25. His father, Isaac, marries <clears throat> Rebekah, who is barren. Isaac prays and Rebecca conceives. We see that God does some incredible work in the Bible through barren women, doesn't he? God tells her there are two nations in her womb. And Genesis 25 verse 23 says, One shall be stronger and the older will serve the younger. Now, Rebecca might not have fully understood what she was being told at that particular point, but what happens is she has twins. She has Esau, the hunter, and Jacob, the cheater. Now, Jacob is called the cheater because he had hold of his brother's heel as, as he was coming out of the womb. And uh, so, it, you know, names are important in the Bible. I think they're important today. But Jacob's the cheater and the hunter, and Esau's the hunter. Meanwhile, Isaac inherits the blessing of his father, Abraham, He too, Isaac, also is going to be the father of nations. And it becomes clear that God intends to keep his promise to Abraham by blessing Isaac. And so as we see this pattern begin to develop, we begin to wonder, well, which one of the two sons of of Isaac are going to inherit this blessing? Is it going to be Esau the hunter? That would be my pet. Or Jacob the cheater. I would kind of run the other way from the cheater, wouldn't you? Most Hebrews would assume that it would be Esau, not because of the names, but primarily because tradition says that the older of the two would would inherit the the blessings of the father, the, the estate of the father. But God has already prophesied that the older would serve the younger. And we saw something similar to this 
when Isaac and Ishmael were, were sons of Abraham, instead of Ishmael inheriting the blessing, Isaac, it went to Isaac. So we see right from the outset that, that Jacob, who is the younger, is going to serve the, 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 uh, the older is going to serve him, but Jacob's not a very nice person. I mean, here's a pillar of the Bible. He swindles his brother out of his inheritance for a bowl of stew. Esau comes in, he says, I'm so hungry. Literally, he says, I'm so hungry, I think I'm going to die. It's an exaggeration. But he is so hungry that, that Jacob, who's making stew, says, well, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but you're going to have to give me, you're going to have to give me your inheritance, your birthright. I didn't say much for the wisdom of Esau. But it does embitter Esau, who goes and, and in retaliation marries some foreign women, Hittite women. And th- this is a deep wound for his mother and father, for Isaac and Rebekah. I mean, already you can see, <laughs> these are some great kids, aren't they? This is a dysfunctional family. And, and that's just the beginning because things go downhill from there. They continue to get worse. Rebecca hears that Isaac, who is on his deathbed and very near death, is going to bless Esau. And Isaac asks Esau to go and hunt some game and make, make his favorite dish. Would you, I'm, I'm close to death. Would you make my favorite meal? Would you go out and hunt some game and, and make me what you do so well? And we see a little bit of the family dynamic here. Isaac seems to favor Esau. Rebekah seems to favor Jacob. And amazingly, while Esau is out hunting, Rebekah convinces Jacob to dress up like his brother. Put his brother's clothing on and deceive Isaac into conveying his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. Now, Esau's a hairy guy, so they put goat skins. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? They, they tie goat skins to Jacob on his hands and on his neck, and Isaac is so near death, it's easy to fool him. And the question is, is he going to be fooled? So in our passage today, we're going to see Three events of Jacob's life that are life-changing. We're going to see Jacob's lie. That's going to be in Genesis 27, 18 through 27. And we'll see Jacob's blessing in verses 28 through 40. And then we'll see Jacob's dream in verses uh, chapter 28, actually, verses 10 through 22. So let's take a look at Jacob's lie. Let's just walk through this. Verse 18. So he, Jacob went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, right away we see how frail Isaac is. He's, he's not able to recognize who's in the room. Eyesight is failing. He's just near death. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, Watch this. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. So, right away, we see these bold-faced lies. And there's a series of them right here. He says, I'm Esau. I've done as you told me to do. I know that you want to bless me. So, 
have this great stew, which his mother actually made. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, now, now Isaac's a little suspicious. This has happened fairly quickly. He says, how is it you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Jacob answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Did you catch that? Oh, God has blessed me with this game. He knows his father's a godly man. So he gives some credit to God. Everything will fall in line. Then Isaac said to Jacob in verse 21, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. You know, Isaac's just not convinced. <clears throat> this has happened too fast. I know I can't see real well. <clears throat> Is there something unusual? No, we've we got to give Isaac some credit here. He's raised these kids. You parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Something ain't right here. <laughs> There's some posture, some, some, some atmosphere in the room that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Let me just verify this. <clears throat> so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. And the lies just continue to pile up. Verse 25. Then he said, bring it near to me, Isaac says, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought it to him, him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. Isaac's still wondering if this is really Esau. Verse 27, so he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So the deception of Isaac is complete. Jacob has lied to and deceived his father. Now again, that's significant to us, but it's even more significant in that culture, that culture of honor and shame. Jacob has just shamed himself. So, so, so we would expect some form of punishment. I'm expecting God to smite him. You know how I like that word. This is clearly wrong. As far as we can tell, Scripture tells us not to lie. Someday we'll talk about Rahab. Jacob's way over the line here. This is no Rahab situation. There is no excuse for what he's done other than he's blinded by his own desire for his own welfare. Jacob was greedy and had already had Esau's inheritance. Now he wants Esau's blessing as well. And surprisingly enough, he gets it. He gets it. Jacob's blessing. Now, Isaac thinks he's talking to Esau, and he says this in verse 28. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the words that are going through this blessing. Talking about heaven and earth. 
and, and, and plenty of grain and wine. We hear heaven and earth, the blessing of fruit and grain. Again, in this culture, this is everything. Uh, so, the, the, the first and second blessings that Isaac conveys to, eat, to, to uh, Jacob is earthly provision and welfare for his son. This is everything that Isaac's looking for. They're great. Those are fantastic. Look what happens next. Verse 29. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Now we have the blessing of a king, the blessing of a leader of a powerful nation, maybe the most powerful nation in the world. And then Isaac goes a step further than that and conveys this blessing. Be Lord over your brothers and may your brother's sons bow down to you. Isaac unintentionally formalizes the prophecy that went out over Rebekah, that the older will serve the younger. And then Isaac winds it all up with, cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. After all the deception, after all the pettiness and lies, Isaac's blessing sounds a lot like God's prophecy over Rebekah, doesn't it? It also sounds like the promise that was spoken over Abraham in Genesis 12. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know where this is going. And, you know, if, if you grew up in today's culture, you're thinking, well, you know, once Isaac finds out that that's not really Esau, you just take it back. That's not how this works here, though. In the culture of the day, Isaac's blessing formally conveys leadership of the clan, leadership of the tribe, over to Jacob. Isaac's words are binding. They cannot be revoked. This is hard for us to understand because we, got, we have a difficult time wrapping our, our, our arms around this, this honor-shame culture idea. But this, this can't be undone. Even if he finds out he's been deceived, Jacob is now the administrator or the executor of everything that Isaac owns. The appointment's been made. The documents have been sealed. Well, this infuriates Esau. Now he's upset. And he goes back and he begs his father for a blessing, but Isaac doesn't have anything left to give Esau. And instead, maybe with some insight into what type of man his son really is, Isaac pronounces this over Esau. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, this is verse 39, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your word you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. That had to be an arrow to Esau's heart. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And Esau now shows his true colors. And he reveals his heart by vowing to kill Jacob. Some of us may think that's justified. Whether or not you think it's justified, Rebecca hears about this. Sends Jacob to her brother's place in and at a place called Haran. Uh, that's about 450 miles north of Beersheba where they live. It's about a month's 
travel away. And on his way, we see Jacob's dream, our third event, starting in Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now keep in mind, Jacob is running from his brother. Uh, His mom wants to send him to his uncle's place so that he won't be killed by his brother too far away. Uh, but also in the back of that is the idea that Esau has married these foreign women. And this is an abomination to the Jews. And his mother wants him to marry somebody in their clan. So she sends him to her, her brother's place. Verse 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because his son had said, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. Now, there, there's an idea that we need to think about for just a second. He, he used a stone for his pillow. I, I mean, this is a different day and a different time, isn't it? There's no, there's no fiber filling. There's no, there, there, there's no down there. He's, he's got his head on the stone. I don't know if you could sleep like that. I would probably have a hard time. But Jacob thinks this is comfortable. Finds his pillow, put it under his head, lay down in that place to sleep. Now, at this point, he's about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. He's in the general vicinity of Jerusalem. Beersheba is about 12 miles south. So he's had a day's travel. Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. So, a a ladder in the heaven? I mean, there's no indication in Jacob's life yet that there would be visions from God. I mean, everything he's done so far has been to dishonor his father, dishonor his faith, dishonor his father in heaven. And he has this dream about a way to get into heaven. And on top of that, it's not just the dream, in the dream, but we're supposed to understand that the dream is prophetic. This is a vision sent to him by God. And in the dream, God speaks directly to Jacob. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The God of the guy that you just lied your pants off to. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. What on earth is going on here? Verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth Be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Did you you catch that? I will not leave you until you get your life squared away. I will not leave you until you get in line. I will not leave you until you straighten out these situations that you've created. No. 
God says, I won't leave you until I have done what I promised you. Wow. What has Jacob done to deserve any of this? Is he worthy of God's favor? Not at all. Matter of fact, everything he's done has been to show that he's unworthy. Is Jacob experiencing the unmerited favor of God? I mean, we have a word for that, don't we? Grace. Grace. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That's an understatement of, of the year right there. I didn't know the Lord was here. If he was a little bit more mature in his faith, he would know that the Lord's everywhere. And that the Lord not only is in that place, but was in that room when he deceived his father. But Jacob has a little bit of a moment. And his emotions kind of get a hold of him. And, and you see that he's beginning to awaken to something. Maybe something a little bit greater than himself. Is that a moment when we wake up and find out that everything around us is about more than, than us? Jacob's got this stirring inside that God has made these promises and they're going to happen in and through him. But it's not about him. I mean, he realizes at that particular point that he hasn't done anything to deserve this. Why is God talking to me? Why am I having this dream? Why do I see this ladder? What's going on in my life? God has come to him in a dream, given him a peek at angels and a way into heaven. And Jacob's not quite sure what all of it means. But he's sure about one thing. He has been visited by God. He has been touched by the Spirit of God. Have you ever felt that? Maybe not in the way that Jacob has, but have you ever been reading your Bible and all of a sudden something just jumps out at you and go, oh my. Have you ever been talking to somebody and words come out of your mouth that you hadn't planned to say? And it has an emotional impact on them. Has ever, anybody ever been talking to you and said something they couldn't possibly know and all of a sudden your heart is moved? This is the move of the Holy Spirit. Jacob's experiencing it. I don't know what just happened, but I think it's really important. I don't know how it happened. But it is happening. I can see it. I can feel it. There's a stone that I laid my head on. The ladder was right over there. The voice of God was unmistakable in my heart. And it's not about me. It's about what he's doing. And Jacob is overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do with all this. He doesn't know what to do, what he's seen and what he's felt. Verse 17, and he was afraid. Now, this is not Jacob in fear that he's going to die. Maybe there's a little bit of that in there because he knows what he's done. But Jacob is moved. He's quaking. And he says, how awesome is this place? I mean, he keeps making these understatements, doesn't he? 
I mean, if we were standing there, go, you bet it's awesome, right? <laughs> this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He's anointing it as an altar. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and I will give me and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth of you. Whoa. Jacob dreams of the presence of God. He knows that God is in this place. And the question is, what kind of impact is it going to have on Jacob? Clearly, God's presence changes the nature of that place. Its name changes. The question is, does it change Jacob? And we see, we see these stirrings in him. Jacob vows to make God his God, not just his father's. This is a moment for Jacob. And, and again, for those of us that are parents, you know that your children have to have their moment of faith. Jacob has it. It's no longer Isaac's faith. It is now Jacob's faith. He's committed himself to God. And they take a look at the passage again. This man who lied and manipulated to get his brother's inheritance and his blessing, who thought so little of his father that he took advantage of his father's advanced age, now asks only of God for bread and for water and for God to be with him, to protect him, so that he can go home and see his dad. Wow. Wow. Three life-changing events for Jacob. But Jacob's lie. It's an interesting situation, isn't it? What do we do with this? How do we process this? Jacob's lie revealed his heart. He was manipulative. He was controlling. He was self-centered. Everything was about him. And he was deceptive. But his brothers really know better. These are the two guys that two nations are going to come from? Wow. I don't know what kind of nations they're going to be. Could be us. Yet, God has prophesied over their mother. And God's prophecy is a promise. And what we see that Jacob's actions, no matter what they are, don't do anything to mitigate God's promise. God's promise isn't nullified by how Jacob behaves. That, that should be some good news for us, amen? So we saw Jacob's blessing. Isaac confers his, this blessing on Jacob, and it's binding in a cultural way. But it doesn't really carry all the authority of God's Word, so we've got to be careful with that. I mean, ultimately, if we read on, we find out that it's Jacob who bows down to Esau, literally. 
So that's not, this is not a prophecy, it's a blessing. Jacob has a lot to learn before he can walk in that blessing. We see Jacob's dream. It's an incredible dream. One that begins to wake up this calling in Jacob. He experiences this ladder. He sees a way into heaven. He doesn't really realize that what he's having is what theologians call a Christophany. It's a, a picture, a shadow of Jesus Christ. It'd be over a thousand years more before God's people would understand the full impact of Jacob's dream and what that ladder really was. We find out in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1 that the ladder is Christ. Jacob didn't know that. There's something else. There's something else that Jacob didn't, didn't know here. The moment that he experienced marked the beginning of a change in Jacob. And that change would be fully affected in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles with the angel of God. We find out he actually wrestles with God through one long, dark night. And at the break of day, God touches Jacob's hip, sends it out of its socket, causes him to walk with a limp. There are a number of biblical theologians that believe that that limp stayed with Jacob for the rest of his life. And at the end of that, Jacob desperately clings to his opponent. He won't let go. And we see this in Genesis 32, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail, the man being the angel of God, God himself, when he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, Jacob's, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day's broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, there's a moment. The last time somebody asked him what his name was, he said Esau. And Jacob doesn't just say, this is my name. Uh, again, when we understand what the, the character of names in, in the Jewish culture as it embodies everything in the art. He says, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a controller. I'm self-centered. And I do everything for my own welfare, but I understand that there's a problem here. Jacob is confessing that he's Jacob. The one who posed as Esau finally admits who he is with all of his shortcomings and all of his failings. Then the angel says, watch this. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Oh, he has no idea what that means. We do. He is now Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So that stirring that began in Jacob at Bethel is now brought to, brought to full fruition. And having encountered God and prevailed, literally, and survived the encounter, 
Jacob is transformed. So much so that God gives him a new name. One that will flow from Jacob and eventually land on every world map that you can look at today. 3,000 years later, we all know what Israel is. So, so what have we learned today? Well, you know, we've learned some practical lessons. There's always some easy take-home stuff. The first thing we learn is this family's a mess. They're, they're just falling apart at the seams. The father of nations' family is totally dysfunctional. But as we, as we watch Jacob grow and change and find out that it is at the hand of God that all of the growing and changes is making. Jacob's not contributing anything to this dream or this vision or this wrestling. We find out that God can redeem dysfunctional families. He can redeem Abraham's family, which was dysfunctional. Isaac's family, which was dysfunctional. Eventually, he will redeem Jacob's family, which is dysfunctional. And I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. He can redeem yours and mine. That's what God does. So, we also see it's not a good idea to lie. I'm not going to send us to hell. But as we read, read Jacob's story, we find out that he, he certainly has challenges and obstacles ahead. His life, regardless of the promises and the blessings and everything, is going to be really tough. There are consequences for our sins. Not necessarily eternal ones, but ones significant enough that maybe, just maybe, because you've sinned and haven't repented, you walk through life with a limp. So again, there's good practical lessons. There always are. But what do we, what do we learn? What do we learn about the character and nature of God? What do we Learn about him and his plan of redemption for his children. And, and again, we've got to remember, we read the Bible. When we read it, we, we want to read to find out about God, not to find out about ourselves. If we're objective when we read the Bible to find out about ourselves, we're going to find out that we're just as bad, if not worse, than Jacob. Praise God that he redeems people. Well, we, we learn that God is Faithful. We hear this all the time, but look at this story. We find out that God is true, that his promises are, let me use a theological term, immutable. It means that they never change. It means that his promises don't have an expiration date. There's no shelf date on God's promises. And we, we see this from the moment that Rebecca is prophesied over by God himself. He says there's two nations in her womb. The older are going to serve the younger. And later on, God prophesies over Isaac. He will inherit Abraham's blessing and promises. And still later, when we see God speaking directly to Jacob, he blesses him. And even as he transforms Jacob, he continues to bless him. Do you see what happened? Listen carefully. God chose Jacob. Not because of who Jacob was. Not comparing the two brothers. For whatever reason, God 
chose Jacob from before he was born. Oh my. Oh my. Try as he might, Jacob was unable to negate God's promises. He couldn't undo what God sent in motion. Do you think that God didn't know what type of man Jacob was going to be? Do you think that, that God didn't know that Jacob would strive with him? Do you think God didn't know that Jacob's striving would bring him closer to God? That that striving alone would change Jacob and transform him into Israel, the carrier of the promises. You know some brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're an inheritor of that promise. The blessing falls to you. And God doesn't have to come to you in a dream. He doesn't have to make you lay your head on a stone for the night. And he doesn't have to loosen your hip from his socket. He's already told you. He's already told you that you are part of his kingdom. And nothing, nothing you can do can undo that. Nothing you can do can make you undeserving or unworthy because you never were in the beginning. Just need to be careful you don't walk around with a, hit, a limp for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this man called Jacob. Flawed in every way we can see. And Lord, if we were to hold this passage up to us as a mirror, we would surely see ourselves in there as well. So we thank you that our transformation is your work, Father, by your hand. We thank you that try as we might to mess it up, we can't. We thank you for that home that has assured us. We thank you for the promises you've given us, Father, but we pray that while we wait for that home, by the presence and power of your Spirit, we would walk in your blessing, walk in obedience to you, Father, and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now as we gather together to break bread, we pray that you would bless our fellowship, bless our meal, Lord. We pray all this in the incredible name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we talk about Leah. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Click on the like button below, that little thumbs up icon. If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving and follow the links from there. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. 
Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.